it's kind of, I guess, a different kind of big fish little pond effect. Because within that little pond of like super smart people, you might feel like a little fish, but your little pond is super smart. And if you were to zoom out, you'll realize that within the context of the world, you might be actually seen as a big fish. Welcome to Setback Stories. I'm Chelsea, your host, here today to bring you on an adventure full of lessons and stories about me, my guests, and the times we've had to move backwards before moving forwards. So, whether you're exercising, commuting to work, or have some free time, we hope you enjoy the episode. I'm super excited to be hosting a very special guest. She is not only my friend from high school, but also the technical producer of Setback Stories, Kendra Tam. Hi, Kendra. Hey, Jobs. Why'd you laugh? I don't know. It's weird being in front of the mic instead of just editing it. Oh, right, right. So yeah, I guess we should mention that Madison is taking over your role for tonight. So thank you, Madison. Do we want to explain to the listeners how our friendship started and blossomed? Sure. I'm sure they're wondering. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. In grade nine, I tried out for the ultimate team. Kendra also tried out for the ultimate team. (laughs) Guess who made it? Kendra, not me. So pretty much I missed my shot to um, become friends with her. So I I had to wait until grade 10 for another chance to... (laughs) That sounds like I wouldn't be friends with you unless you joined ultimate. (laughs) Honestly, that could be true. No, I'm kidding. Because I I would say that... um, (laughs) Because our friendship also was cultivated <laughs> through um, photography glass. Yeah, we had uh, mutual friends in grade yeah. nine, too. But we would just, like, pass by each other and look at each other and not really say anything. Right? Probably. I was just awkward. No, I'm, I'm awkward, too. I mean, it's some awkward. But... Oh, and if the listeners were wondering, uh, Madison is was the mutual friend. Or was one of the mutual friends back in grade nine. So then, fast forward to grade 10, we took photography together. That was a really cool interactive class. And I still remember in grade 10, it was you, me, and Madison in uh, the gym during our lunch hour, and you were teaching me how to flick. And for anyone who doesn't play ultimate, the flick is like the opposite of the backhand throw, um, which people most commonly know how to throw, like when you're playing with a dog or whatever. And I really appreciated that moment because it took me a while to actually get my flick down. So I'm really glad that I started when Kendra taught me because had she not taught me then, I probably would still be struggling with my flick as of today. So thank you, Kendra Tam. I will say the student has become the master. You are infinitely better at ultimate than I am. Okay, you keep (laughs) on saying that, but honestly, I keep on losing my throws. Like I'll work on my backhand for a long time. And then I'll try to work on my my flick. And then I'll lose my backhand. So then I'll try, like, working on my backhand. But then I lose my flick, so... <laughs> I mean, I haven't played ultimate since, I think, first year. Actually, no. Probably the start of second year. Hey, that's like me. Honestly, pre-COVID was the last time I played ultimate, so... Yeah. I'm still waiting for the day until we play ultimate again. Oh, I should also mention that in grade 12, I co-led the school newspaper. And if you're the club head of the school newspaper you're supposed to learn how to lay out the uh, digital design of the paper but I had zero experience with InDesign but Kendra here was a veteran layout designer so yeah I mean the only reason why the heads have to do it is because nobody wants to do the layout design (laughs) that's very true the career is small but you literally uh not only taught me 
but you taught my uh, co-head and the other newbie designers. So thank you for being such a teacher of flicks to um, InDesign. All right, Kendra, would you like to tell us what you're up to now? Yeah. So as we kind of talked about, we went to the same high school together. Uh, but right now I'm studying mechatronics engineering at the University of Waterloo. And uh, for those of you who don't know what mechatronics is, I guess it's not really <laughs> it's not really a common major. Uh, it's basically mechanical and electrical engineering. But as Chelsea said, it's basically just like robot engineering. Damn. Yeah. Kendra is doing big things, especially since Waterloo is known for its engineering program and its co-op program. And I feel like her background, um, her educational background is very relevant to today's episode, which is going to be about the big fish low pond effect. And I'm sure you've experienced this effect before, Kendra. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be speaking about it. So I was wondering if you wanted to touch upon what this this effect was or is. Yeah, so... Basically, well, there's actually a good ASAP science video out there called Mm -hmm. uh, Does Your School Matter, Uh, which we can probably link somewhere in our socials or like podcast description or something. But basically what it means is that you can kind of seem like a big fish uh, when you're in a little pond because like in your own small little community, you're you seem a lot bigger and like stronger and smarter than everyone else. But what you have to realize is when you go out to like a bigger pond or an ocean or something, there may be some other things um, that are going to be way bigger than you out there in the world. So like in your own little pond, you might be like, I don't know, the biggest salmon. Um, <laughs> but even the largest salmon is going to be like tiny compared to like the sharks and whales in the big mm-hmm. oceans. And so a lot of times this effect becomes apparent when they transition from like high school to university, um, which Chelsea and I have both experienced. And that's what we're going to talk to you all about today. Uh, but basically it's because you can go from being the top of your class in high school but once you go to university especially if you go to like more prestigious school or program all of a sudden everyone there is at the top of their class and statistically speaking half of you are now going to be below average even though in high school you guys were all above average and that shift from like top of the class to bottom of the class can be really jarring for people and usually this leads to like feelings of inadequacy and like imposter syndrome and just like feeling uneasy about being in this new uh, environment. Right, right. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a summary of what this big fish low pond effect is. I don't know. Did I miss anything? I think you summarized it quite clearly. Just to, I guess, paint the analogy a little clearer. I guess we would both say that we felt like the big fish um, in high school, which was our little pond, especially since like our grade was what? comprised of only 120 students so it was like relatively small right and then when we went off to university university is a really big place especially um my school which is UBC I think there's like 50,000 undergrad students like obviously they're not all in my program but you got you got the idea of how like we're going from a little a small school or small grade to a much bigger class size yeah Um, and therefore we the roles are reversed. We now feel like a little fish in a much bigger pond and hence all the consequences. Yeah. Do we want to jump right into our stories? Yeah. Let's talk about the times we've felt like the little fish in a big pond or the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to start? Sure. All right. 
so yeah, I mean, going from high school to university, I think I kind of knew that this was going to happen. Like I was going to all of a sudden feel like, like a small fish in a big pond. And it definitely reassured me a lot in first year, just like knowing that this would happen and like taking advice and tips from older years. But it also doesn't just like magically erase like feelings of inadequacy or like feeling that you're not smart enough. Because mm-hmm. like I remember in first year, I failed my chemistry midterm. I was going into it and I was doing all these practice problems and I couldn't do them. I think there was a part of me that was like, ah, maybe I'll be able to pull through and like do it. But I just kind of kept putting it off. Because mm-hmm. also like the way that like midterms work at Waterloo for engineering kids is like we have a midterm week. And so we have an exam. We don't have any lectures, but we have an exam every day for a week. And remember my chemistry one was my last one. It was like on a Friday and it was like 7 to 9 p.m. at night. Oh, and by then I was just kind of like exhausted and mm-hmm. didn't want to deal with it anymore. And probably the smarter thing to do would have been to like obviously like study earlier and like ask for more help. But there was a point where it was like getting way too late to like be able to learn everything in time for the midterm. Again, I had like in high school, I was used to getting good, like good grades or like, and not failing things. And all of a sudden getting like a 40, like on my exam was kind of a weird shift. Yeah. I think the way that I kind of navigated through this was just to like a way that I usually I guess deal with my issues is to like logic my way through it and just to like remember like the advice and like tips that I've gotten over the years where it's like it's fine if you fail this one midterm like the whole world isn't going to end there's still finals there's still other projects that you can make up for this mark just kind of logicing my way through it and knowing that it's not the end of the world kind of really helped Mm -hmm. I feel like that is kind of easier said than done though sometimes but I think that's just like a way that works for me. And like, obviously like knowing this like effect is happening, I guess it doesn't mean that I don't like, I magically don't get stressed about it just because I know about it, but it's, I guess able to like Mm -hmm. diffuse the stress a little bit. Right. Right. I totally know what you mean by, by how like it's easier said than done to tell yourself like, Oh, I got a bad grade. It's not the end of the world. I'll be okay. Um, within a few months from now but especially coming from a high school where like the equivalent equivalent of a b plus was considered the end of the world it must have been like a real slap in the face when you got back your midterm and like got below a 50 right yeah I mean again it was just I had to keep kind of my emotional response would have been to like be super stressed about it and kind Mm -hmm. of it feel like the end of the world Mm-hmm. But then I think what like yeah, what I had to do was kind of take myself out of that emotional state and kind of think about it logically, which again is way easier said than done. Oh, for but- sure. Yeah, it's really hard to like think logically when you're in a heightened state of like emotions, whether it, it be emotions of stress or like feeling disappointed and stuff. So I really like how you come back to this idea of trying to take yourself out of that heightened state and reminding yourself of like what is reality. That is that you you recognize that you did fail this midterm, but 
you also recognize that this is only one part of the grading scheme and there are definitely chances to make up for it. And I'm sure you did because did you fail the course? No, it didn't even end up being my like lowest mark. Oh, sick. Like I ended up doing fine on the finals. Like it was perfectly fine. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing about university. There are, um, you know, I feel like, or maybe this is, this was my perception of university coming into it as a first year. Like I thought that because it was university, like professors wouldn't be forgiving about like marking stuff or they would be just really strict on it and they wouldn't give you multiple chances. But I really do appreciate how um, grading schemes are forgiving and kind of generous in that you don't always have to pass the midterm to pass a course. Yeah, I can't generalize all courses, but I do like how there are are like assignments and like pre-reading quizzes to do in order to boost your mark Um, and take the weight off of like those high stress situations of doing an exam within such a crammed time. Yeah. I mean, it does depend on universities. Yeah, I know like European schools are like, everything is on your final, which is very stressful. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can just speak for Canadian universities for now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just a little disclaimer. Yeah. So I also had a similar experience like Kendra's going into first year. I didn't fail a midterm, thankfully. Haven't yet. Wouldn't be surprised if I do in the future um, because that stuff happens, right? But I did face a mark that was kind of a slap in the face. So it was my first midterm. Actually, it was my first day of midterms, but it was like the second midterm of that day. So I had a lot of, you know, anxiety and I guess pressure that I was putting onto myself um, on that day just because it was a it was my first day of midterms and like I really wanted to do well. And I felt pretty good going into the midterm. Did not feel too hot coming out of that midterm. Reason (laughs) being, honestly, I think it was, till this day, two years later, I think that midterm was unfair because (laughs) I, I don't know about other people. Well, I don't know about other people, but I did not finish it. You're getting louder. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, I'm just getting really heated because I feel like that midterm was not fair because I wasn't able to finish um or if I did finish I'm sure the quality of like my writing would have been really bad but anyways I I walked out of the midterm knowing that I did not attain a grade that I desired and I predicted to be somewhere in the 60s and eventually I I was right my predictions were right I landed like a 67 or something which I know isn't like the worst grade in the world but Like I said, we went to a high school where students, including myself, would cry over the equivalent of a B plus. So like Kendra, I was used to scoring in the A's and having a 67 in front of me was felt very dissonant to me and felt very disappointing. And I kid you not, I cried two nights in a row after that midterm assuming that I landed somewhere in the 60s you could ask Madison our um shoot what are her titles our (laughs) my co-producer and boss 
if she heard me through the walls because she was actually my roommate in first year. <laughs> um, and I remember that night that I was just, I was spiraling. Like, like my emotions were just like through the roof. I remember I kept on crying and crying and I was, and I kept on catastrophizing. I was like, oh my God, um, I did so bad on that midterm. If I can't, um, do well or perform well in my next midterms, how am I going to perform in second year or third year or fourth year? Am I going to even be able to pass my next midterms? Am I going to fail out of the semester? Or am I going to fail out of UBC? Am I going to fail out of life? So I kept on um, like blowing up in my head until I like, fell asleep. And then it repeated the next day until I stopped because obviously that wasn't productive. I had to move on and study for my next midterms. Um, and... I wish I was rational like Kendra. Um, I didn't, I also didn't start using logic to get out of these flawed ways of thinking until I took this psych course in second year. And we touched upon clinical psychology and learned about cognitive distortions, which are flawed ways of thinking and how to combat them through a therapeutic approach called CBT, which stands for cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy we'll actually link a few resources in the podcast description or on instagram um on these techniques all right so in first year i did not know about cbt so poor first year chelsea not being able to help herself jokes i was actually able to adapt um adopt a new mentality towards achieving less than what i achieved back in our small pond of high school and what I taught myself was that um I had to remind myself that my mental health comes first before grades like in hindsight I feel I feel kind of embarrassed for having cried so much after um landing somewhere in the 60s on a midterm because I would consider myself a health advocate and when I think back to those two nights where I was like breaking down from not doing too well on a midterm, that was me putting my grades over my mental health. So nowadays, I try to tell myself, you know what, Chelsea, you tried your best. Um, you did what you could. I'm proud of you. Um, and there's always another opportunity to try harder next time, which is what Kendra and I was talking about earlier. Um, thankfully, I, if I remember correctly, at the end of the, towards the end of the course, since everyone pretty much did bad on the midterm too, which kind of also made me feel better that I wasn't alone in that I did poorly on the midterm, um, our professor was kind enough to make this clause or make this deal with us where if we did better on the final than the, than our midterm, she would count she would put more weight on the midterm. Sorry, she would put more weight on the final than our midterm. So, yeah, yeah. We, I have had a lot with my first year classes too. Yeah, and even some of my classes now. Like, if you do better in your final, then they'll put more weight to the final. If you do better in your midterm, then like they then they won't like transfer some of the, that midterm weight to the final. Oh, we love generous profs. Are those like <laughs> deals that are established right from the start of the course or? Are yeah. they made, like, throughout? Not. They're, they're usually at the start of the course, especially okay. for first years. That's good. I'm really glad that um, they implement those in your first year courses because I feel like 
<laughs> first year is definitely a time where um, this effect is very profound and yeah. those deals are definitely needed. So yeah, like Kendra, I also tried to talk to upper years um, before, wait, did you do that? Did yeah. you talk to, okay, yeah, you talked to upper years before your midterm? Oh, no, I didn't do that. Oh, Like, in general, I had okay. kind of, like, talked to other people, so I kind of, like, knew, like, what was going to happen. Like, I knew my marks would be lower. I knew that, like, I don't want to say common, but, like, a lot of people do fail their midterms. So, again, it was, like, easier for me to logic my way out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I say that a lot, but, yeah, I don't know. It helps me, but easier said than done for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, logic is a wonderful thing that I didn't know about until second year, so <laughs> proud of you for knowing that earlier than me. Um, it's going to be like ultimate. Ult- <laughs> You're going to, a student is going to become the master. <laughs> That's the goal. I mean, I'm working with the therapist like every other week, so I think I'm getting there. Yeah, she's helping me. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Wait, so how did like that affect your other midterms? Because like for me, like, my chemistry midterm was, like, my final one. So then I kind of, like, was able to kind of forget about it. But, like, did you have midterms after that, too? Yeah, I did have midterms after the midterm I did poorly on. But at UBC, we don't have... Our midterms aren't structured the same way Water, Waterloo structures their midterms or your program does. Um, instead, you can have a midterm, like, at the end, starting from um, the end of September all the way up to the end of November uh so it's kind of spread out sporadically it's kind of gross yeah it is kind of gross so anyways yeah. yes to answer your question I did have midterms after the midterm that I knew I did poorly on but I didn't have it like I didn't have it the day after so I think my next midterm after this one was probably like a week later so I had some time to I had time to recuperate and I feel like I expressed that in the form of crying. I guess I cried it all out within two nights. <laughs> I'm really thankful that I didn't have a midterm like the next day or within the next two days because my emotions were definitely not the happiest. So even though I would say that I did recuperate from this one bad midterm, I definitely can say that it planted a seed of doubt in the back of my head going into my other midterms. I think I performed decently well on the next midterms. I don't remember failing any of them or doing as poorly. But this mindset of, or this presence of doubt was not, not, not the best, um, was not the most useful, especially considering, considering that there are, like, it's been proven that if you, um, are expecting a negative outcome towards, I don't know, academic performance, chances are you will not perform the greatest. And this is actually called the nocebo effect. Lots of people have probably heard about the placebo effect. So it's kind of the opposite, but negatively. So I would say the nocebo effect was definitely the reason why um, my 67% on my bio midterm was a setback to me because had I aced the first, my first midterms, my first few midterms, I probably would have been very, you know, confident going into my next midterms. But because I didn't do so hot, I was like, I might fail the next one or like, I might get a 67 again. Um, so, 
Yeah, but I don't think it, like, I don't think I let that seed of doubt grow um, and overwhelm me too much. Or maybe I did, but I compensated by, like, studying even more to ensure that I never got a 67 again. (laughs) So, yeah. Does that answer your question? I rambled a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like there was like for me too, where it's like, if I was going to fail my midterm, was it going to be okay for my chem final? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I ended up being fine. Like I was doing the practice problems. I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Did you change the way you studied um, as a result of failing your chemistry midterm going into the final? <laughs> Honestly, no. It sounds so bad. I think it was just the content pre-midterm I struggled with a lot more than post-midterm yeah yeah Um, yeah that's good too Um, I think it's also a combination of me being burnt out mm, um, from studying on my midterms yeah Uh, yeah. also a way that I cope with stress is to watch tv Um, (laughs) I love love that a lot of tv during midterm week because that's how I cope with stress but then it also takes time away from studying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is why I think by the end of like the week, like me st- studying for my chemistry midterm, I was just like, well, I like hit a point where I was like, I don't think I could either like study like crazy, mm-hmm. like an unhealthy amount and mm-hmm. and like pass it or or I could just give up. <laughs> and enjoy <laughs> your TV shows. Yeah, which uh, probably not the best mindset, but hey, we're all still, we're still learning. <laughs> yeah, we really are. And I mean, I actually commend you for like making that decision to, you know, just enjoy TV as opposed to, like, pulling an all-nighter to, I don't know, pass your chemistry midterm because I feel like when we're students, it's so easy to neglect our well-being when grades are supposed to be what matters, so. Yeah, you kind of get tunnel vision. <laughs> oh, for sure. that That is definitely me. I mean, I haven't pulled an all-nighter yet, but I'm just trying to be more mindful that Health comes first before grades, right? Yeah. So I know we've been talking a lot about the big fish little pond effect in university in terms of grades and midterms and whatnot, but I was wondering if you've ever experienced this effect in your co-op program, just because I know co-op is a really big thing at Waterloo. Yeah, like for sure, because I didn't have a lot of experience, like even jobs in general, I didn't have a lot of job experience. Um, And I definitely didn't have like engineering job experience. So getting that first co-op job was definitely difficult and like I, I applied to in total like 100 different companies and only Holy. got interviews for two the the two employers that interviewed me actually both offered me the job which was wow so proud so <laughs> proud but still that's like a two percent acceptance rate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so again that kind of was definitely a bit of a blow because I knew that like if you gave me the job that I would do well Mm-hmm. Or at least I think I would do well because I know that I'm good at learning quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bit frustrating because I didn't have the experience to prove it that I knew that I'd be able to adapt. Right. And I think when like when the two employers did take a chance on me, they kind of saw that, which is why I got the offers. One of the, the employers that interviewed me in that first term, like one of them actually asked me about because uh, I had gotten like a 70 in linear algebra and he literally asked me if, like, oh, so I know, like, going from high school to university, grades are going to drop. 
how did you feel about that? Like, how did you feel about going from like 90s in high school to that 70? Which was kind of like, I wasn't expecting that interview question, but mm-hmm. it's probably definitely like seeing how well I adapted. Mm-hmm. And I just like answered, like, honestly being like, it was definitely a blow, but again, kind of like what I explained before, where it was like, I was able to kind of almost logic my way out of the situation, being able to separate myself like emotionally right. and kind of logically like walking walking myself through what happened. Why do you think your employer asked you that? Because what I hear is that employers usually don't ask about grades. Yeah, they, I don't, he wasn't focused on the grade because mm-hmm. I mean, it, I had like a 70 on there, which is a pretty low grade by our standards, I think, because I think usually the, the average for us is about 80. I think he was asking that so that he could see like kind of what kind of person we were and like how we adapted to change and stuff. Mm, yeah so yeah like he definitely it was also like an it job so they were looking i think more for like personality right and like how you interact with people and like how you are as a person Mm -hmm. so that's probably why he asked a question like that gotcha gotcha and since it was a new job that required lots of learning on the go yeah i guess that like adaptability like you said was probably what the employer was looking for yeah for sure yeah Yeah. nice nice yeah so i definitely see how the big fish little pond effect was apparent throughout the application process of securing a job that two percent acceptance rate really sounds um daunting but congrats for landing a job and i think you're on your second term of co-op this is my third third oh my goodness that's amazing props to you so now that you are on your third term of co-op have you seen the effect take place in the workplace for you yeah so definitely in my first co-op job just because I had never like worked in like a professional environment I didn't know what I was getting into and like Mm -hmm. the job that I ended up getting was a software development job it was like a web developer application developer and I'd never really like used the tools that they use um, which kind of goes back to like during the interviews, they're looking for adaptability, not necessarily skill. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like went into the job knowing that I didn't have all the qualifications and that that was normal. But there's still that feeling of like, crap, like I'm not going to be good enough. I don't know mm-hmm. like how to use all these tools. Like I know how to code and like usually you can like translate that logic between different different languages, but it was still kind of that stress of, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, is this going to be okay? Or are they going to hate me? And I still kind of felt that even throughout my first week working Mm -hmm. because I felt like I wasn't doing, like, I felt like I could be doing better. And I was almost comparing myself to a full-time worker that Mm -hmm. like would have went to like university, had job experience. But in reality, I was a co-op student and I was expected to be learning. I was expected to like be kind of slower. And so I kind of, psyched myself out a lot because I thought that I wasn't doing well even though I was getting like feedback from my coworkers saying that they like I was like the fastest co-op that they had that I was like picking up things really quickly damn and honestly yes. at first I thought it was pity because <laughs> I felt like <laughs> I was doing so bad and I was going so yeah. slow again because I was comparing myself to a to like a full-time worker that knew mm-hmm. what they were doing and had been doing this for like five years but obviously I'm I'm a co-op student. Yeah, like that's not a fair comparison. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. 
again, I kind of, I knew that I was just a co-op student and I was getting this positive feedback and they kept saying it over and over again. And I was like, okay, it's kind of weird if they were just pitying me and like saying this over and over again. (laughs) But I couldn't like fully realize it even at the end of my work term after they had given me like the, the, because like they had to give me a full evaluation for Waterloo and it's like a part of the co-op process. And they like giving me a really good evaluation. I still couldn't, like register it in my brain almost like an imposter (laughs) yeah basically at what point if ever did you stop feeling like an imposter I think there was definitely a a point when like they kept giving me this positive feedback and I was like okay maybe I should listen to it and it like goes back to that idea of like logic getting myself out of this like state of stress but even like as I applied for my next work term and the work term I'm in right now I still felt like I didn't belong there and I wasn't doing well enough mm-hmm. and I was picking up things fast enough when in reality I was getting the same feedback of I was able to do my job really quickly and I was able to mm-hmm. adapt really well and learn new things, which like even though I knew that I was a fast learner, that's something that I learned about myself over the years, I guess. But for some reason, I thought that that wasn't enough. Literally, my first co-op term, I think I was Googling things every five minutes. I did not know how to do my job. <laughs> you taught yourself. Yeah, I would have just been, like, bugging my employer the whole time instead of, like, Googling and figuring it out myself. This is my issue. I am I have to find the balance between bugging my employer or, like, bugging my coworkers and, Googling, or, like, trying to figure it out myself. And I always feel like I'm trying to figure out myself too much, and that's mm-hmm. taking a lot of time. True, true, true. But in reality, like, when, once I get the feedback, they're like, no, your balance between the two is perfect, like, between trying to figure it out yourself and asking us about it. So another story that I have that's kind of like similar to, uh, I guess the grades. Um, So at Waterloo for the engineering kids, at least we get rankings. Basically you can see where you rank within your program. Uh, You can't see where other people are, but you can see where you are. So like you'll see how many people in your program, where you're ranked and your average and then the class average. And I remember the first time, that. so every term you'll see this ranking. I remember when we first got it, most people were pretty, I guess, quiet about it. But I did remember from some of my friends and just like listening around in our class, people were like saying their rankings. And I remember a lot of people's rankings that I heard were usually higher rankings. So like if there were 100 people in the class, like first would be the best and then like 100th would be the worst. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of people saying their high rankings like a friend of mine was like seventh and like another friend of mine was like 25th and they were kind of like all above average I was like right in the middle so Mm -hmm. I was like basically at 50 if anything I was like I think like two people below average but I mean I was essentially average my initial feeling to that was like like crap I'm like below average Mm -hmm. but then I have to remember I'm two people below average I'm basically average and especially yeah. when you get to the middle, like the differences between your marks are usually off by like 0.1 or like 0.1. Like they're usually pretty close. Like if you were to look at like a standard distribution, most people are in the middle, like you're average and that's like fine. Mm-hmm. But there is that like initial feeling of like, again, cause I had gone from in high school being like the top of my class to now just kind of being in the middle kind of threw me off a bit. And also just like hearing everyone around me saying like their 
their high rankings, I was like, oh crap, like I'm not good enough. But the reason why I was hearing so many people saying their high rankings was because they had high rankings. There is still 50% of the class that had a low ranking. Mm -hmm, Like, even though I was hearing everyone getting high ranking, that didn't mean that everyone had a high ranking. They were probably just staying silent. That kind of reminds me of how on Instagram, like, all you see are people's successes and, like, pretty faces. And no one really posts, like, the bad news and, like, their sad days and stuff. So I could imagine how, like, hearing your classmates whisper their high rankings might might, how that m- might have made you feel um, when you saw your own ranking. And honestly, that ranking system sounds scary because, like, <laughs> comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Like, were you scared of when you heard, when you first learned about this ranking system? Because I know that at our high school, um, they they didn't release those, co- like, class averages. So we didn't really know where we stood in comparison to our classmates. So what was your reaction when you first heard that Waterloo was gonna tell you where you sit next to your classmates um I think it was kind of weird definitely and I mean even within Waterloo like it's still kind of a weird thing for people and we still kind of question why we do it but I think it's like some transparency thing that they have to maybe they don't have to but they just do release our rankings is it just for your program or is it for like all Waterloo Uh, for the engineering kids, at least. Yeah. I'm not sure about other programs. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It's also, yeah. like, you have to kind of put it in perspective. Because, I mean, everyone is kind of, I guess, a different kind of big fish little pond effect. Because within that little pond of, like, super smart people, you might feel like a little fish. But your little pond is super smart. And if you were to zoom out, you'll realize that within the context of the world, you might be actually seen as a big fish. Oh, Totally. Yeah, I think having perspective and context definitely helps, I don't know, cope with those feelings of inadequacy. Um, I like how you mentioned that even though you were average, the people like above you were only away by a few, I don't know, 0.1% percent, like in terms of grades. And that like maybe your grades compared to the people who had higher rankings um, might look significantly different but like if you look at your grades like objectively then they're probably probably objectively good but like once you start comparing it to like your classmates then you start feeling like crap um but then you can always redeem yourself by like zoning out and just telling yourself like this is a pretty selective program and and even if like if i was the if i was in your class and i was the hundredth ranking I attained the hundredth ranking and I was last. <laughs> I would try to redo myself by, by saying like, you know what? I'm last, but you know, a lot of people applied to this program and didn't get in and I yeah. did. So yeah, yeah that was definitely so- something I told myself too. I was like, I was the average of all the smart people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still smart. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't exactly. have to be the smartest of the smart. I could just be average of the smart. Or even if I was below average, I was, I mean, I was still smart. It's like you put in that extra above average and below average and that suddenly like colors the whole thing. Yeah. But like you have to remember you're still smart. You still made it into this program and you're still Still in this program. Yes. Smart fishies. All right. So we're nearing the end of this episode. I just want to thank you so, so much for coming on today. Not as my technical producer, 
But as a very special guest, you've shared a lot today from times where you've experienced this really prevalent effect of being a big fish in a little pond and becoming a little fish in a big pond at Waterloo, whether it be through your classes, with your grades or rankings, or through your co-op program. So I want to thank you for being vulnerable. Um, And I really think that your stories will relate to a lot of other people's journeys. So thank you. Thank you for being my friend and coming on (laughs) to the podcast. This is going to be held edit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good luck editing. (laughs) Now now you can start being the technical producer again. Happily. Oh my god. Never talking again. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kendra, our gal who does all the magic behind the scenes of this podcast. Before you leave, in no particular order, here are today's takeaways. Number one, transitions are tough. Whether you're transitioning from high school to post-secondary or starting a new job, it's common to expect yourself to perform at the same level at your previous school or workplace. However, be gentle on yourself and know that it's okay if your expectations don't meet reality. Number two, school and work aren't everything. If you can, prioritize your health. Number three, when you feel like a little fish in a big pond and are swimming in feelings of inadequacy, try to widen your pond. Expanding your scope will soon make you realize that you are a big fish somewhere. But remember, this is only a band-aid solution. Comparison is the thief of joy. Number four. No matter what, as artist and poet Morgan Harper Nichols beautifully writes, do your best while also remembering. Your worth is not attached to what you accomplish. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Setback Stories. We're always looking for new topics and guests to bring on the show, and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to DM us on Instagram at setbackstories or email us at setbackstories at gmail.com. Finally, we're seeking ways to grow and improve our podcasting game. If you can, please leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so that you will never miss a bi-weekly episode from yours truly. I'd also like to give credits to my team, co-producer and co-writer Madison Wong, and technical producer and editor Kendra Tam. There's so much work that happens behind the scenes, and I can't thank you two enough. Till next time! Okay, cool. Clap. Clap those cheeks. Okay. What the fuck?